seat. God, kind of strange sitting down after one song, isn't it? It's lovely and warm here tonight. Some of you still got your coats on. Kate, on the back row, did come in feeling a bit cold. And we have power and light. It's nice, isn't it? For those of you who weren't there this morning at uh, our gathering this morning, we lost all power. Except the power of the Holy Spirit. The lights went out and the sound went and everything. But uh, it's good to be back. Okay, we're going to read a passage of scripture. And uh, it's Matthew chapter 9. And just the first eight verses. Is that what I gave you? That's the one. Lovely. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up, went home. And then the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. I just love reading about Jesus, don't you? And we're going to hopefully respond in awe and wonder in a few minutes' time. So we just pray. Father God, as we just spend this time around your word, we are a people that want to be fashioned by your word and by your Holy Spirit. So would you come and anoint this time? And then as we respond, out of our praise and love for you, would you be blessed with our worship? In Jesus' name, amen. What do you prefer to be called? Is sometimes the question I'm asked. Because some people call me Philip, some people call me Phil, and some people call me other things that I can't mention. But, um, and some people just say, do you prefer Phil or Philip? And I, I, to be honest, I don't mind. I never really have minded. Although the name my mother gave me was Philip. One L, two Ps. But I don't mind what I'm called. Kate, have you got, are you Kate? You're Catherine. Which do you prefer to be called? Okay. My mum calls me, well, my mum actually calls me Tim, Stephen, Philip. Oh, yeah, you're the, the, the last one. You know. Anyone else got a name that you're not called by? Debs. You're a Deborah. Okay. Anyone else? No? Okay. Just the three of us. Can you think of... Any titles or names of Jesus? Savior, Savior yeah. 
Wonderful counselor? Lord of the morning? Apparently, there are some 200 names and titles of Jesus found in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? And just to give you a few, there's a slide on the screen. There's Jesus, obviously, God, Son of David, Son of God, Messiah, Christ, the Good Shepherd, Savior, Prophet, King, Bread of Life, Light of the World, the Door, the Vine, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, the Resurrection and the Life, the Lamb of God, the Judge, High Priest, the Alpha, Omega, the Image of God, Firstborn over all creation, the Word, the Bright Morning Star, the Lord, the I Am, Cornerstone, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, Head of the Church, Emmanuel, Bridegroom, Author and Perfecter of our Faith, the Holy One, the Mighty One, the Bright Morning Star, the Lion of Judah, the Rock of Ages, and that's just 40. Nearly 200 names for Jesus. Thank you. Otherwise, we'll just keep looking at that and say, oh, I didn't know that. Popitiation, yes. Jesus had a favorite description of himself. And it's the one he used in the passage that we read. And it's son of man. And you'll be familiar with that, I guess. And in many ways, that's his code name. That's the name he goes under. He calls himself son of man And it's by far his most favorite description of himself. It appears 82 times in the New Testament. 81 times in the Gospels and only once outside of the Gospels. And 80 times on the lips of Jesus himself. It's the one that he used of himself. And I like to see it as a code name. Jesus, as you know, was born into Roman-occupied territory. Rome was the superpower of the day, and its emperor was Emperor Tiberius. And Tiberius was one of these emperors, as many of them were, that was so paranoid about his position that the emperor Tiberius killed a tenth of Roman nobility of his day to secure his reign. Anyone else who had a claim to the throne, he would eliminate. It's quite something, isn't it? A tenth of Roman nobility he killed. And I guess he wouldn't have even thought twice about eliminating a Jewish carpenter who may have claimed to be king. Now, you'll know from the gospel stories, you'll know from the Christmas stories, that Herod had already tried to kill Jesus just after he was born because he found it a threat because there was this prophecy about a king of the Jews had been born, the wise men, the magi who came to see him. But throughout the early days of Jesus' ministry, he uses this term, son of man. Now, he did speak about a kingdom. In fact, Jesus speaks most about the kingdom of God. Above all other subjects he talks about, he talks the most about the kingdom of God. When eventually he was tried by Pilate, he did say, yes, I am the king, without a doubt. And that's why Pilate wrote it. 
king of the Jews, three languages above the cross. That's why the Pharisees and others said, don't write that. Say he claimed to be the king of the Jews, but Pilate says, no, what I've written, I've written. So Jesus uses this code name for himself, a title which could mean everything to his followers. If you understood what son of man means, it will mean everything to you. But to other people, it would mean nothing. So it was both innocuous and incendiary at the same time. To ignorant onlookers, it was just another Aramaic term, son of man, a form of a man, Barnasha in Aramaic. If they said in Aramaic, there was a man, that's the term they would use. If you read Psalm 8, when you got home to tonight, it would say, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And what it means there is humanity. Men and women. But to those in the know, this term, son of man, was also the most dangerous claim that anyone can make in the Roman Empire. Because what it actually means, if you know, is that whoever claims to be the son of man is claiming to be the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Emperor of Emperors, the ultimate sovereign over all. And it would mean that Jesus was king and Tiberius was not. And to find the clue of what Son of Man really means, you have to go back 600 years. And you have to travel 600 miles away from Israel. And if you do that, in the Bible, you find the prophet Daniel. Daniel was exiled into Babylon. Babylon was the superpower of the day in Daniel's day. 600 years before Jesus, Babylon and the Babylonians were the superpower. And Daniel was in exile. And if you read Daniel's prophecy, there's amazing stories in there of Daniel in the lion's den, how he stood for God. He, he wouldn't budge. And he was thrown to the lions, but the lions didn't eat him. He was saved by God. But if you go on to the next chapter, Daniel has an amazing vision. And he has a vision of the next four empires in world history. And he calls them beasts. And that's how he describes them as beasts. Which gives you a clue if you've ever read Revelation and you've never really understood Revelation. What's John going on about beasts and dragons and things? Empires. Those who oppressed the church. John uses code language for that. So in that vision, Daniel sees these empires. The first one is the Babylonians. But he knows the Babylonians are going to fall. And after the Babylonians will come the Persians. But they'll fall as well. And they'll fall to the Macedonians. But their empire will fall as well. And they will fall to the Romans. And then, when the Roman Empire is at its height, in his vision he sees a new kingdom. 
and a new king. And he says this, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations, all peoples of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is one that will never pass away, will never be destroyed. So in that vision, the amazing vision Daniel has of the Babylonians and the Persians and the Macedonians and the Romans, they all fall. And then there emerges a king whose kingdom will never be destroyed. And it's the Son of Man. This figure, this Son of Man, was the coming Messiah, the Christ who would establish God's universal and eternal kingdom on the earth. And in Daniel's vision, he sees this Son of Man, and he describes his clothing was as white as snow, and his hair was white like wool. Any echoes? We started from that first chapter in Revelation, and John sees a vision of the exalted, risen, glorified Jesus, and he says he was white. Jesus chose this title, Son of Man, for himself. He chose something missable to many, but also momentous. And in his life and his ministry, as he walked on this earth, he revealed the meaning of that name. At the end of his earthly life, after the resurrection, and he speaks to his disciples and he sends them out, you know what he says to them, don't you? Go into all the world and make disciples and Baptize them. But he says something before that. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's the fulfillment of Daniel's vision. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus in the flesh, standing before his disciples, declares that before he ascends into heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth. And that's an amazing thing to lay hold of in your own life. You belong to Jesus. If you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you belong to Jesus, and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And his kingdom will never pass away. So you are secure, no matter what. His authority extended to the way that he spoke. His authority extended to the way that he had power over sickness and illness and suffering. He had power to forgive sin, which is what he actually says in this passage. 
that the Son of Man has power and authority on earth to forgive sin. It's interesting he says that before he dies on the cross. He doesn't say to this man, when I've died for you on the cross, you can claim forgiveness from me. He says, your sins are forgiven because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the only one who can say your sins are forgiven. That's why the authorities, the Jewish authorities, the religious leaders got so upset. He has authority to bring this world to its conclusion. It's he who's going to do it. And he will be the judge of every human being who has ever lived. And he will make all things new. This son of man who is the radiance of God's glory. Day by day by day as the disciples walked with Jesus, he revealed who he was. But it was only when he was tried on trumped-up charges, because no one could find fault in Jesus. They had to make it up to condemn him. But finally, he stands before the Sanhedrin, the authority in Jerusalem, made up of the chief priests and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees. They were the sort of aristocrats. And the high priest asks him, point blank, tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus says, yes. It's true. But he says this, yes, it's true, but I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And finally, they got it. He's claiming to be God. That's what he's saying. He is God. Standing before them, he is God. And they say, you deserve to die. How can you, a mere man, claim to be God? How can you forgive sins? Because only God can do that. And they were right. And they hurled insults at him. And they spat in his face. And they beat him with their fists. And said, you deserve to die. Why? Because they understood that Jesus had claimed to be God. And that's the key. Key to all of our conversations. With those who don't yet believe. Is Jesus is God in the flesh. He is not just an equivalent religious leader. He is not just a holy man. He is not just a good teacher. We believe he is God in the flesh. So when you get into those conversations with the Jehovah's Witnesses, you talk about the divinity of Jesus because they don't accept it. You talk about the Trinity because they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You talk about how you know that you are saved because Jesus said so. Now, you probably won't get very far because they've been taught to just keep on their track. 
But it's what sets Jesus apart. All comes down to this claim of Jesus that he is God in the flesh. And so many people find it offensive. It is offensive to Islam. Now we want to see all Muslims saved and come to know Jesus. But in their faith, the claim of Jesus is an offense. Because you cannot claim to be God. Allah is one and there is no other and he has no children. Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of Man, God in the flesh. People still find it offensive now. Do you remember the book, fictional book called The Da Vinci Code? And it was turned into a film. 60 million copies were sold. Isn't that amazing? 60 million copies. The claim in the book, amongst other things, is that the early church made up the notion of Christ's divinity, that Jesus was God way after he died. And that in the vote that they took, it was a relatively close vote. What utter nonsense. Jesus is God in the flesh. As John describes, the Word was with God and the Word was God. But with those with eyes to see and ears to hear, when we come to believe in Jesus, we come to believe in the one who is the one who always was from the very beginning and always will be, God. With the Father and with the Holy Spirit, three in one. You cannot read the words of Jesus and miss it once you're looking for it, that he claimed to be God. When he quotes scripture, he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, that is an astonishing thing to say. You have heard the scriptures, but I say to you, he fulfills the scriptures. It's all about him anyway. And he brings out the real meaning, particularly of the laws in the Old Testament. He taught with, as one with authority, people said of him. The miracles, who else could do those things? Who else could make the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dumb speak, the dead come to life again? Who else but God himself? And supremely, through his resurrection, Jesus conquers the grave. And he's alive. And people give their testimonies. And Saturday morning, the guys who were here were privileged to hear Colin give his testimony. What an amazing transformation. 
you know, I was sitting on a table with particularly one guy that I've been trying to witness to for ages, and, and I, I could see his reaction, I could see, but no one can deny that something miraculous has happened in this man's life that no human being could bring about. You can't manufacture that. Only Jesus can do that. Those with eyes to see, ears to hear, will believe and see in Jesus God in the flesh. So here in Matthew 9, in these few verses that we read, he makes that claim again with such clarity for those with ears to hear and eyes to see. These guys bring a paralyzed man to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that remarkable? He doesn't say, be healed. Not initially. He says, your sins are forgiven. And that really annoys the people around. How can he say that? Because he is God. Of course he can say that. Which is easier, he says, for the Son of Man to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. Okay, get up and walk. I am astonished. I've been following Jesus 30 years and I am still astonished by this amazing, amazing man. We get too familiar with it, don't we? Oh yeah, Jesus, he healed everyone. He forgave sin, he rose from the dead. Oh, wow. He has said to you and I, as we've trusted in him, your sins are forgiven. Come and walk with me. The scribes and the Pharisees got one thing right only that they knew that only God could do that. The main thing they got wrong because they called Jesus a blasphemer. Jesus says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. So let's worship Jesus, God the Son, the Son of God, the Son of Man, God himself. Amen. Let's pray and I'm going to ask the band to come back.